Welcome to Signs of Life, exploring survival of consciousness. Brought to you by Forever Family Foundation on the web at foreverfamilyfoundation.org. I call your name, the echo is haunting, the echo is always the same. I call your name, the echo is haunting, and echo can never be changed. So I call your name. Welcome to The Gathering on Signs of Life Radio. I'm Bob Ginsberg, and I'm joined by Tom and Melissa Gould. Thank you for joining us tonight. As you know, this show is dedicated to your questions. So you either email us in questions, which many of you did, or we would love to talk to you during the show. Matter of fact, we'd prefer to talk to you. And you can call us at 888-627-6008. I don't have many announcements, except that There's about two weeks left for the summer raffle where you can win a reading with one of five certified mediums. Check that out. Don't miss out. It's $5 a chance on our website. You can find the details on our event page. Other than that, as you know, all of our grief retreats are, are sold out for the rest of the year. However, within the next week or two, we're going to post another grief retreat that will take place in March of next year at the guest house in Connecticut. So we'll send out an announcement to all members first. So don't get shut out of that. You know how quickly these things fill up. So uh, as I mentioned, we're going to get right into some questions. You want to call in, join us. You're more than welcome to. And we'll uh, we'll shoot the breeze on some of the stuff that you wrote in. So the first one we have here is in the Netflix documentary, Surviving Death, The reincarnation episode was very compelling. My question, each of the profiled cases was the same gender, past life to present. Is this the norm? I know mediums often say they're getting female or male energy in a reading. Do our souls have a basic gender orientation? Um, It's it's a good question. In in terms of the reincarnation evidence, um, there's quite a, a, a... a large percentage of people who report past life memories uh, of a different gender. I don't think it's the norm. Um, I think I remember reading statistics where maybe 30% of it was, was the gender was different and 70% it wasn't. Um, as a matter of fact, some of the, the reincarnation researchers suggested the theory that a lot of people that have um, gender identity identity issues that might be traced back to a past life where they were of a different gender. That makes sense to me. Um, those and, you know, many other issues that, that people have. In terms of mediums often saying they're getting female and male energies in a reading, um, they do say that a lot, right? Tom, listen, I mean, you hear that. Yeah. Most yeah. of the medium will say, I'm getting... Lots of times they'll say, oh, I'm getting a, um, you know, a, a male figure. And then the sitter will say, well, what you're saying makes sense, but not male. And then they'll say, well, maybe 
I'm picking up on a female energy. So then that becomes questionable. But um, I mean, do you think that our souls have have a, a basic gender orientation? Let's I'll pose that to you because I, I don't know. know the answer. I'm, I'm going to jump in on this because of this interesting conversation I had last weekend with my now 12-year-old granddaughter. Several years ago, just randomly, I asked my granddaughter and her brother's about two years younger than she is, if she recalled life before she was born. Instantly, she launched into this talk about Babyland, started to tell me all about Babyland, how it worked, And then her brother listening in was chiming in and concurring with her. And they had no time to discuss it between them or compare notes. And I looked at my daughter. We were walking from their home into town for dinner. And, you know, the conversation went on the entire time. And my daughter just said, oh, they're making that up. And I'm thinking, how could they be, you know, so together with this? So... A week or so ago, I was sharing this story with a friend, and she wondered if that might, if maybe it might be brought up in Babyland, this gender identification issue that's facing so many people these days, or that we hear about. It's probably always existed, but people weren't comfortable sharing about it. So we were visiting these same grandkids last weekend, and I just said, hey, Tilly, do you remember when we had that conversation about Babyland? She acted like, oh, yeah, like as if it had just happened. And I said, well, my friend wants to know if are in baby the same as born or is about, and she now Take this with a grain of salt. She just said, no, I think that gets decided once you're born. So that doesn't answer any questions, but it's certainly interesting. Yeah, and you wonder where they picked that up. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you chime in, Tom, if uh, you have any. Uh, I, this, is, I'm, this is totally foreign to me. It's a great question. Yeah. Uh, but something I have n- never encountered previously and i haven't yeah. read anything about it uh I, I would think that if we have a an oversoul so to speak and you know we're all fragments of this one greater soul that it's a mixture of many lives of different genders because gender which seems to be immaterial in the world of the soul and consciousness you know so maybe I think it's, that's right bob i think that's right because it's this physical body is this physical body. Yeah, and, and and I do believe that we have, you know, a feminine side and a masculine side, depending, you know, regardless of where we land. I think that we have, yeah, as you say, there's a mix. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> here's another interesting question. I'm not the same person at age four or 14 or 44 or 74. We don't notice the changes because we change gradually. Could changes at death occur more suddenly, at least for some individuals? And could that also be why people from long ago don't show up in readings very often? They've changed beyond recognition or reincarnated. 
Um, you know, uh, regarding changes at death occurring more suddenly, uh, you know, I don't think we can think of it in, in, in physical terms like a chronological age. So I don't know that they they think that there's anything happening in a time progression, just everything's happening at once. But as far as um, why people from long ago don't show up in readings very often, I, you know, I think it has more to do with their perspective and their urgency um, and maybe simply having more important things to do. Uh, I'm, I'm also open to the possibility that over, t- over time, at least time as we know it, memories um, fade um, over time. I don't know, but, you know, or maybe it's just that, you know, the, 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 the particulars are not very important to them anymore, like they were in the physical. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, and there's also the fact that people from long ago, if they show up in a reading, they, there'd be no way to validate that. You wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to tell you something that you know about them. Right. Yeah, I mean, if somebody, if my great-grandmother came through in a reading, I don't know anything about my great-grandparents on either side, you know. Yeah. Or maybe one or two pieces, but that's it. So you're right, Tom. I mean, I ha- what they would know that, you know, I mean, I couldn't possibly validate anything that they were saying to give to me as evidence. So, so that, that's, me, that's another my, good point. In my family, we had a lot of family pieces, antiques and so forth. So perhaps if, if, if I were having a reading and they brought up this particular picture that I think was a gift to my mother's grandmother on her wedding day and and some identifying marks on the bottom that would certainly be evidential yeah the chair that's true yeah things like that and then you know you'd have to think that they're aware of that like that they know that you have that piece so they would use that as evidence right that'd be cool um question was i'd like your opinion on channeling Uh, i'm sure you all believe it can happen but how to tell if the channeler is authentic. I bring this up because a friend of mine recommended a woman who channels a group of beings who refer to themselves as extensions of source energy, as they say we all are. Um, And and she's talking about Esther Hicks um, Mm -hmm. and so forth. And I'm not really very familiar with that. Um, But, um, you know, she, you know, I guess sat with this woman and didn't see, any evidence that she was faking. Um, but she goes on to say, I'm sure there's plenty of other channels out there. This is the only one I have personal knowledge of. What do you think of the info being given and of Esther? And if you've seen her, um, so no, I haven't seen her um, and I'm not really familiar with it, but I was thinking back uh, when I read this question, because I mean, we, we talk about this on the show. We've talked about books like testimony of light and the unobstructed universe that are based on these channel writings. And when you read them, they're really compelling. And I fully believe them when I'm reading them, you know, because it's filled with uh, not only um, wisdom and so forth, but, but information that we can validate in, in a lot of these cases. But I think back to almost 20 years ago where I was invited to sit 
with a, a woman who claimed to channel like the greatest minds of science. I think she called it the band or something like that, you know, and it was, um, it was Einstein, um, Edison, Tesla. I mean, we're talking about the greatest names in science. Yeah. And I was sitting there now granted, um, 20 years ago, I didn't believe in any of this stuff. So you could imagine me sitting there and, and, and watching, I could barely sit there. And, 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 but I, I like to pride myself on, on being, you know, open-minded. So I, I was sticking it out until she said, do you, anybody have any questions for, for, uh, you know, Mr. Einstein? And one woman said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having some dental work done on Tuesday. Can you tell me how that's going to turn out? That's when I lost it. You know, like <laughs> you, you have the greatest minds in science and you're going to ask her about your cavities. And, you know, just like, <laughs> so, you know, in that case, I, I think the problem with channeling is that in most cases, and we don't see a lot of it today, but in most cases they're bringing through um, great truths and wisdom, but nothing that, that's evidential. I mean, there's nothing that we can go and look up or in a book or, you know, and so I find that in a lot of the, you know, the, the channeling, the modern day channelers, what do you guys, you know, buy into channeling? I'm certain, I know you appreciated those books that I mentioned and some others as well. I had read Esther Hicks book. Now, was it Esther who was best or her husband, Jerry? Uh, Esther um, is here and, and um, Jerry has passed. Okay. And, you know, the, I've, I found them completely fascinating. Uh, and I, I honestly can't recall too many of the details right now, but I know that that was what they were interested in doing. And, and how she came to do the work she did was also quite fascinating. In fact, you're making me want to revisit that just to have um more to say about it what i could say more about is um my experience with physical mediumship but that could get me in trouble (laughs) yeah but it's a little bit you know well that's kind of the same thing because a lot of physical mediums do channel right they Um, were talking about this yeah 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 you're right yeah yeah you're right um i like to think of channeling the same way like in automatic writing you know where people pick up a pen and so what's interesting to me is when the person doing the channeling or the person doing the automatic writing has a very limited education, you know, and they really didn't do any traveling and they, they never really left, left their state and um, they don't speak any foreign languages. And then they do the channeling or the automatic writing and they have, you know, physics equations, you know, that are, you know, way beyond any reasonable expectation of ability that they have and, or speaking other languages, that's compelling to me, you know, mm-hmm. but I agree with the other stuff, you know, who knows, uh, but we're all open to it. So Absolutely. to say, yeah. yeah, I think it's kind of like when you <clears throat> watch a science fiction movie and uh, <clears throat> there's some premise like a, an alien coming down or, or some, you know, force and, you don't know if that's true or not, but you accept that premise. And then for the rest of the movie, what happens has to make sense with that accepted premise. 
So I, I approach the channeling in the same way, you know, reading the, the Seth books or, or Testimony of Light or something like that is that, you, okay, you're accepting that this information is coming from uh, beyond and and then you just see if it makes sense as you go along. And, and for some of those books that we've mentioned, uh, it all it all lines up with the, the premise. So whereas I'm not convinced that they're doing that, at least their story is making sense. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, this is The Gathering. We're talking about... Uh discussing and answering questions that you have posed to us in case you'd like to join in the conversation. The number here is 888-627-6008. Here's a question. uh, Simple. How will my deceased loved ones appear when I join them someday? Will I be able to hug them? Tom, you want to take that? Well, yeah, I think, um, From what we just said, some of the channeling books, uh, the, the unobstructed universe, yes, you will be able to hug them. Uh, how will they appear? They will appear uh, in a form that they would like to be uh, seen. Uh, I, I reminded of a, uh, a story my mom uh, told, tell, told after my dad passed that she was sitting in her uh, chair and sort of half asleep when all of a sudden she was jolted up and and there kneeling by her chair was my father looking you know, he was 82 when he passed and but he was looking like he was 40 and he was smiling and uh you know that's how he appeared to her uh, and uh so i think yes i think you have a lot more choice when you're over there and how you're going to present yourself and, and what you're going to do uh, once you greet up with people. But I, I do think you will get to take the hug. Yeah. You know, that that's an interesting um, question to pose is that for all the people that are in what we call the afterlife, um, I would have to assume that most of them are not communicating with each other um, by including a body, you know, that all the communication is taking place. You know, it's interesting to me because here we judge people constantly based upon their appearance, right? We size them up, you know, we, you know, and, and, and everything is body centric, but in the afterlife, um, it's all about your mind. It's all yeah. about your emotions and your compassion or your love or whatever. So it's an interesting concept. You know, I was thinking about it today. What happens if um, somebody had actually posed a question that's on my list here that if what happens if medical science progresses to the point to the point where they can ensure that we never die physically? You know, we can just keep, you know, pro, prolong life into eternity. So my first thought was, well, shit, what are we going to do with 401ks to live for 10,000 years? You know, how do you provide for that? You know, but then what would happen to the afterlife? You know, if no nobody is 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 dying. I mean, that's an interesting concept, but I digress. But, um, you know, there was another question here. What information do you have about spirits being able to taste 
or enjoy through taste the food that I and others who do this kind of thing. Um, so can a person in spirit, if they love hot dogs, you know, taste hot dogs? So we're, we're, I think we're all in agreement that from what we read is that if somebody in spirit desires something, they could manifest that, right? But I agree. I've also read in a lot of books, I don't know whether I agree with it or not, but some of the researchers cite cases where people with physical addictions kind of attach themselves to somebody that's still um, in, in spirit so that they could taste or smoke a cigarette through that person's body or, you know, uh, and they, they also, the researchers suggest that that um, could be the source of, of, of what we would call mental illness or, 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 or issues, health issues. I don't know whether I buy into it or not, but it's not beyond the realm of possibilities. However, I'd never heard a medium mention that to me. Have you? About somebody taking over somebody's, uh, moving into somebody's it, body? I suppose it's possible if they can, you know, get animals to do things, if they can get into a human. But uh, interestingly enough, back to this book, The Unobstructed uh, Universe, which I finished recently, uh, I bookmarked it because some in that book, they actually ask the discarnate that very question is, you know, can you touch and feel and taste and all that. And, and the answer came back. I have all of the senses and more. So, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I, I bookmarked that because I, that's uh, hopefully is true. Again, this is back to my sci-fi movie. If you accept the premise, then that's a nice piece of uh, information. Yeah. Uh, will it remains to be seen whether I truly believe it or not. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why we we look into all these things. You know, that's what we do. We, pre- we present accounts and evidence and you believe it or you don't believe it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this question was that the person gets messages from discarnates easily, uh, but when it comes to my own loved ones, it's hard to get messages. The mediums also have a hard time reaching their own loved ones. Um, yeah, we do hear that. That's most of our mediums tell us that um, not all of them, but a good percentage of them say that they have to go to another medium to get a reading, that they can't bring through their own loved ones. I always had a hard time reasoning out that why that may be, you know, and you, know, you could say that it's too emotional for them and the grief, um, you know, uh, you know, blocks them. Uh, but I always thought that, in, in from, you know, their loved one would get messages through to them, you know, more easily. And they do sometimes because I, I know mediums have tell us about experiences with dream visitations and getting other messages from their loved ones. But the majority from what I've heard is that they can't um, and they go to other mediums. That's why sometimes we'd have gatherings. Remember those ga- we used to have gatherings at our home yeah. with a whole bunch of mediums there. And 
Fran and I would go to sleep. I mean, because, you know, they, they were sitting in the living room till four o'clock in the morning reading each other. And we wanted to, we let them, let them at it. You know, this is the only chance that they got to get, to get reading. So I remember those days, but um, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, what do you think about whether mediums get messages from their, from their deceased loved ones? Well, you know, I've heard them say that often, and I actually have a little bit of a problem with it because at our grief retreats, we know that we're telling everyone, you can do this too. And I think when we tell that to the attendees at our retreats or anyone listening to this radio program, it just means that you too can be open to the signs I suspect the mediums are just like us. We're finding it difficult. They're telling us they can't do it. Most, many of them are. I mean, maybe I'm not hearing the ones who say, oh, yes, you know, I can always get my relatives to talk to me. So I think we're kind of more on an even playing field with that. And I, I'm just speculating right now why they would feel strongly that we can do it, but they can't is, you know, it comes so easily to them to get us sitters messages and not for them. So it's, you know, maybe they're being like, but they're right there. So surely you can connect to them. Yeah. Um, You think it might be the case where they, they question themselves, like they don't trust their own information. Like they, they trust themselves implicitly when they're reading you or somebody. But when it comes, it's so close that maybe they, the same thing goes through their mind that goes through ours. Am I imagining it? You know, right. like that could be a possibility. I, I think that's exactly right. In fact, uh, it's a confidence thing because often I will see a reading or have a reading and they'll get something that's spot on. And when you tell them exactly why it's spot on they're they're like, Oh, wow. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you just told me that. Why are you so amazed that it's right? You know, that's, that's an interesting uh, yeah. aspect. Um, here's a, a question. What do you anticipate giving you the most pleasure when you transition to the afterlife? I mean, to me, it's it's two things. One, recognizing that I'm still alive. That, that's going to be a biggie. But even more importantly, um, seeing my loved ones again, that would be an indescribable moment for sure, right? I mean, that would, yes. you know, so that's, and I think that's the same for all of us, you know. So, I mean recognizing you're still alive it's once you see your loved one then you know you know so maybe that that's secondary so i think you know i mean that's an easy one what could give you more um pleasure than that well i know Um, after after those initial joyous moments and what else can i do i've always said this i don't feel like i speak i'm not listen to me right now i'm not capable of expressing the really deep thoughts I have. And so on the other side, you guys are going to be blown away. Like, Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
And of course, uh, as we have heard many times <clears throat> from readings, uh, there's no pain uh, as you get old. If, if you're fortunate enough to live to a ripe old age before you pass, you've got plenty of aches and pains that you deal with every day that all of a sudden you won't have the aches and pains. You know, there's right. so many readings of, of people coming back who are in wheelchairs or on walkers, and they're talking about that they're dancing and running and having a great time. That just, and that just adds to the joy, right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I talked to a counselor who specializes in guided visualization. My 96-year-old dad passed in September, and since then, the counselor has guided me on vi- visualizations where I invite my dad to meet me in whatever pleasant place comes to mind. It is remarkably healing and always surprising. I love seeing my dad. There are no spoken words, just a powerful sense of strength and love. Have you heard of this technique? Has anybody written about it? Well, um, yeah, I mean, many of our uh, mediums will do these guided uh, meditations where you visualize. Sometimes it's in a meadow. Sometimes it's by a lake. Sometimes it's on a bench. Um, and they'll guide you through it with a lot of people find easier to, to meditate and have that experience experience if they're guided in that direction. And yeah, I mean, we've experienced that at our retreats and there's people crying during these visualizations as they encounter their loved ones. And it's, it's, it's a simple process and yet it works. So um, yeah, I don't think that there's uh, that that's anything new, but it's a, a proven method that that seems to work. Yeah, I enjoy those uh, immensely, and and it's always a surprise who shows up or or what you what feelings you have when yeah. it's over. Let's see, um, my husband passed in February, and I and recently I had been talking to him and just wishing we had more time to make memories. I awoke one morning a couple of weeks ago and walked into my office to find a baseball in the middle of the floor that he had caught on one of our trips. This ball was in his office on a shelf the night before. I can think of no other explanation of how this moved and the door was closed. How could he have managed this? I love it. I love it. Yeah, the how is the question that can't be answered. The fact that it does happen, Mm -hmm. we have heard many uh, examples of that. So yes, he somehow put that ball there and uh, yeah, how exactly it happens, I don't know. I mean, I'm reminded of the the movie Ghost where he learns to move a penny up the door and uh, I guess it's just that way, learning how to uh, to focus your energy into a form that will move something. But through a solid door that's closed is mind-boggling. You know, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> from the science perspective, you know, where there's plenty of research that shows that mind can affect matter, you know, and psychokinesis, um, and when a discarnate entity, somebody that's in the afterlife can do something like move the ball, it's still mind affecting matter. It's just that the mind is in a different dimension, but it's still a mind. So it's still a mind affecting matter. So if we, if, if, if we can see it happening in the physical world, 
why shouldn't it happen, you know, across dimensions? And so that, it seems logical to me. And, you know, we know this is not, as Tom mentioned, we see it happen time and time and time again. So we can't say for sure, but that's what we suspect is is happening there. Um, and you should real remember that <clears throat> nothing is solid. You think that a table is solid, but it's, it's, it's moving. You take a, a rock, uh, the most hard substance on earth, and you get down microscopically, and it's atoms that are spinning around, and there is space in there. So a higher level of frequency that the uh, discarnate has can get through that. That's why, and again, and throwing it out again, the unobstructed universe, that's what unobstructed is, that you don't have walls on the other yeah. side. You, you walk right through them. Whereas we in the obstructed universe are bound by walls and, and obstructions. So uh, it all comes down to, to frequency. Right. Um, <clears throat> question. I had a reading with the medium over the phone. Before the reading started, the medium asked me to speak a few words to help make the connection. Have you heard of this? <clears throat> yes. As a matter of fact, a couple of days ago, uh, we were doing a, a medium certification, you know, and one of the readings that the medium does for a sitter is, is uh, in blind in a sense that the medium can't see the, the sitter. And the medium um, did just that. He said to the sitter, can, can you just say a sentence so I can, it helps me to make a connection. And I was okay with that because they weren't giving any information. It's just saying, hi, and, you know, and this is my voice. So we know that many mediums think that a voice or um, some subtle piece of information can facilitate, like a name can facilitate the you know, connection. I mean, we're careful from the certification perspective that they don't give away any information, but I could see how that might jumpstart the, the connection. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's a, here was a, here's a simple question. Does dying hurt? Um, the, the dying process can hurt. We all know that we've watched loved ones, you know, you know, suffer in the dying process, but the consensus is that the, the moment of crossing is pain free. Um, yes. you know, so that's, the actual crossing over or going through that doorway um, doesn't involve, you know, pain at all. Just a matter of getting to that point. You know? <laughs> um, let's see. I, I saw no pain when my mom passed. It, she just, she just went from one world to the next. Yeah. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And readings we've had of people who have died in a car accident or something like that, where it, where it came uh, unexpectedly. Uh, that's the first thing they say, you know, that there was no pain. They didn't know that. In fact, a lot of times you don't even know you're dead because there isn't any pain in the actual dying. Yeah. Here's one that we partially addressed already. She said that I have read that our deceased loved ones look like themselves only better. Well, you just talked about that, Tom, with your dad, yeah. um, you know, like in their prime. 
I've also read that since they're pure energy, they do not look like they did on earth, but are like beams of light. You know, what's your opinion? Well, um, I, I guess there's two parts. One, like, the, like you were talking about, there a lot of people see their loved ones um, in a condition where they felt best about themselves and they weren't sick and they were strong and, 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 and that's the way they, they want to be remembered. Um, but other times people have these more subtle experiences where they do see, um, you know, like beams of light, you know, that they just attach to a knowing that it's a, like a visitation, but there's nothing discernible, you know, about the yeah. light, you know, so. Um, I think that's true. I think that just generally as the, uh, this question phrased it perfectly that, yeah, they're, they're energy. And so, they could just be a glowing energy, but when it comes to perception and when they're going to meet somebody on this side, they all they can present themselves in an image that will be uh, recognizable and and again, as you say, how they would prefer you to remember them. Obviously, if if they uh, died on a hospital bed after a long illness, you don't want to come back and with that image. So you'll come back and you'll greet your loved one the way that they remembered you best. Mm. Um, is it, <clears throat> excuse me, is it common for the bereaved to indulge in destructive behaviors like alcohol or drug abuse Um I mean, mostly you might address that, but I would, I would say, yeah. I mean, because we're trying to dull the pain, you know. And uh, but the point is um, that these destructive behaviors don't do anything for recovering, you know, from 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 grief. That's something that we try to do at the foundation, you know, by getting you to change the way that you think. Um, but uh, Melissa, I'm sure. You, you found that like in, from your studies and in, in work that a lot of people that have lost a loved one, you know, whether it's gambling or drugs or, you know, they. Right. Right. They just overindulge in something. Um, I think in one of the grief groups, well, I, I won't give the acronym because I won't be able to remember what each letter stood for, but, but that's a big part of re- when you call it grief recovery, your grief is going to be your grief, but the pain will lessen over time. But on that grief journey, that's often what people turn to because it's just so painful, which is why it's so important to talk if you can. I know a lot of people don't want to share their grief with others. It's too personal. It's too painful. But sometimes even if you don't want to share, listening to others share will help you because you start to recognize, wow, I'm not alone. Other people are feeling this too. So that's very helpful. This self-destruction just, you know, leads to no good. (laughs) It, it It won't help you get through your grief at all, at all. It dulls the pain for a moment, but. It's not the answer. I'm going to let you guys take this one because 
I'm not quite sure how to, how to answer this, but it, the near-death experiencers are often told to return to life because it was not their time to pass. We know that. We hear that time and time again. So if they can't be resuscitated, does that mean that it was their time to pass? I guess there's really no way of us knowing that. Well, uh, if if, <clears throat> if the, uh, the big picture is you're here until this point in time and you're on a uh, hospital table in surgery and you're flatlining, if that's not your time, you're not going to pass. You will recover it. And if you, and to answer the question, if you do pass, then it was your time. And, and certainly, you know, we get this of course with the, parents who have lost children and all that. And, you know, how can, you know, you take somebody so young and, and how can their time be, you know, four years old or six years old, but that's, unfortunately, that is the time for a lot lot of beings. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate and devastating from our perspective. But from a spiritual perspective, it has a different meaning, you know, whatever, yeah. that, whatever that meaning is. Um, why do so many people scoff at you when you talk about evidence of life after death? I know why. why? I know why. Because if there's life after this life, life after death, that means in this life, you are held accountable for everything you do. And a lot of people do not want to be held accountable. They've got things they're hiding, things they're ashamed of. All will be revealed on the other side. So it's a motivation if to to believe if you believe it's you know motivates you to do the right thing. Yeah, for some people, um, I mean, for others, they just think that everything that they were taught says that there's no such thing, you know, in pseudoscience and. It's wishful thinking and, and, and um, you know, just woo stuff. And they try to, you know, they try to ridicule you for it because they, they won't look at, if you start talking about the evidence, they'll just ignore you because right. they just don't want to hear it. They're just totally closed-minded. Or it could be fear because they've, many are indoctrinated with any talk or, uh, or interest in this is the work of the devil. And right. You're not so, supposed to gosh, talk about it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In fact, I, we, when my mom passed and we talked about how, uh, you know, we had just a medium had come and talked to her about meeting with her husband. And she actually made the sign of the cross. You go, no, no, don't tell me to tell them that. That's evil. Yeah. So what are you going to do? He, what are you going to do? And and one of my friends, you know, whenever I bring up any of this, because we're so involved with the foundation and after her mom passed, the simple comments or questions, she would be like, oh, you know, I don't believe in any of that. I'm very, I'm a very black and white person, no gray areas. But then she would describe things to me that were clearly a sign or something, you know, she stories things that had happened in, involving her father after he had passed and so you just smile and listen and <laughs> yeah. you'll find out one day 
Yeah, that's that's the most interesting ones. The ones who adamantly say, no, I don't believe in any of this. You know, I don't believe in signs. And then about a half an hour later, you're talking and, and he happens to mention something that his ex-wife or his deceased wife came back and and it was like, we're looking, <laughs> Melissa and I are looking at, well, that's a sign. <laughs> so yeah. you, you got to be careful how you phrase it, I guess. It's true. You know, um, my father really doesn't believe in any of this stuff, but every once in a while he'll tell me some, something that he can't really explain. But I laughed the other day because he tells me that um, his his nephew, you know, his oldest brother's son and his oldest brother's now in the spirit world. Um, so his nephew kept his, his father's phone. So he called my father the other day and you know, how the caller ID comes up and it said, you know, Phil Ginsburg calling, you know, so my, my, my father picked up the phone and he said, wow. He said, my brother finally found a way to communicate with me. That's <laughs> like, you know, but to, to him, it was, he got a, a laugh out of it, but uh-huh. and he was still, you could tell he was still, he wished it was true, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that believing in life after death helps you to adjust when you die? Um, so hmm. what do you think? That's interesting, right? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it certainly, it helps in the grief process immensely. But for your own personal thing, yeah, I'd have to think so because it's any change is an adjustment. <clears throat> and if you're, you're already acclimated to the fact that there's going to be a change and you're going to be in a different place, when you show up in that place, you go, oh, okay, I'm here now. So yeah. you might acclimate a lot quicker yeah. if with a belief. I think so. It makes it makes sense because if you're in a – an affirmed uh, skeptic and you absolutely hundred percent think it's all nonsense. Right. Yeah. And then you wake up like that. You're, you're going to got to be a bit bewildered, you know, and <laughs> you know, it's going to take you, you know, you would think a bit longer to, you know, to adjust than somebody else. Whereas I would think that if you and I, you know, cross over, um, yeah, I mean, we're still going to be happy that we, what we've been saying all these years is true, but I, I don't think we're going to be shocked. We're expecting it. We're you going to be. Yeah. You're making you're making me think, Bob. I know you said you haven't received too many messages from Fran since she passed. Knowing Fran, she hit the ground running on the other side. She organized that auxiliary board. She's got her own foundation on the other side. She is way too busy. Yeah. Well. Sending us signs. Yeah, it's yeah. not sympathetic with you. She's probably <laughs> slapping you. Come on, Bob. You know I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. I still think uh, there's something monumental that that'll happen eventually. I just it hasn't happened yet. You know. And of course, she's, a, you know, she's you know, a talking about the skeptics who cross. Yeah. <clears throat> there is talk. <clears throat> I don't know evidence or talk, but of what we call earthbound spirits. Right. Spirits who they've passed, but they don't know they've passed. Right. And a skeptic might find themselves an earthbound spirit because they don't believe in an afterlife. So if I'm still here, I must be still here. Right. And yet what's curious is that 
as you know, all of our the mediums um, that are certified by the foundation, none of them believe in earthbound spirits. Yeah. Ne- they tell us that they've never encountered somebody that's earthbound. So I don't, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Um, but what you said, Tom, does you know make some sense if if you if you were so attached to this earth and you had a very materialistic life and you know money and toys and food and cars and all that that you would you would crave that at least initially right mm-hmm. now whether or not you know how that process takes place and how you would stay close to the earth as opposed to moving on in this other dimension i don't know but i do know that it's rare and I've never even witnessed it that in a reading or a medium said that somebody was earthbound. So I agree. Take, take that for what it's worth. Um, question, you know, will I remember my life after I die? Um, I think that mediums are evidence that yes, you will. Otherwise mediumship wouldn't take place because mediums are communicating specific very specific um, details about your life. And the only way they get that is from you in the spirit world, communicating that to them. Um, But as we mentioned earlier, I'm still open to the possibility that as time goes on, time as we know it, that um, they're expanding, they're growing, they're exploring. And some of the trivial memories, you know, might fade. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a good time, I think, to bring up something on how our process works. Um, because when we were talking about earthbound spirits, I read a book by a woman who says all she does is deal with earthbound spirits and trying to help them to move on. And it's one of those things. Well, if you accept the premise and, and you know, her book made sense, but then you need not only that, but you need corroboration. And I've asked every every one of our mediums that uh, have come in contact since I've read that book, I've, I've said, have you ever heard of anything like this? Most of them said no. I've never seen another book that deals with this. So when we're talking here and, you know, throwing out evidence and, oh, and then somebody asks a question and we say, oh, yes, definitely, we're getting that not from one source. We are answering these questions from reading dozens of books that all say the same thing. You know, if, if everybody's saying the exact same thing across a, you know, a large spectrum, then you can start to say with some certainty that this is a truth, whereas the Earthbound Spirits, I've only seen that one book. And so I, I am not going to say it's a truth. And uh, I haven't gotten any cooperation yet. So that's how we approach all of this. When, when To people listening out there, wonder why we can you know, answer your questions the way we do. And that, that's it. Study. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... I've got a couple of minutes, uh, enough for one more question. You know, why does time move so slowly for those in grief? Um, I mean, 
time is all subjective. It's all, it's fluid. So sometimes when you're engaged in something that's creative or exciting, time flies by. And sometimes when you're bored to tears, it drags on forever. So the grieving process is hard and it's tedious um, and it requires a lot of work. So it makes sense that it seems to move very, very slowly. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, some people will say, well, how, how long will I grieve my loved one? And the answer is, well, how long will they be dead? Right. Or how long will you love them? You're never going to stop loving them. So right. that there will be a piece, there will, you will carry a grief with you, but hopefully uh, after the initial shock, and, and over time, you will replace your pain of grief with the happy memories that you shared and your gratitude that you had the time that you did have together. Mm-hmm. And, and, and your, your thoughts will go to when we had fun and, and how much you loved one another and, and not dwell on the fact that they're, they're gone. That's right. Yeah, and, and what we've seen, we, we know it's, we talk about being a long and tedious process, you know, but there is some light at the end of the tunnel. And also we've seen people, um, doesn't happen to everybody, but sometimes somebody has a powerful, powerful personal experience, you know, with a profound after-death communication or a profound medium reading or having their loved one appear to them, you know, or having a near-death experience or something that kind of accelerates that healing process because it instantly flipped to yeah. a new yeah. belief system. Um, I mean, it's wonderful. We see things. We wish, we wish it would happen to more people. It doesn't happen to a great many, but it does happen. So, yeah. you know, there's always hope with that. That's what keeps me going. I, I, you know, when you mentioned that, I remember one couple in particular at a grief retreat. It mm-hmm. was, it was like a light switch. They, they were, they were as glum and as sour as could be, as you could imagine, in pain. And then they had this experience that you uh, mentioned, and the next morning they were smiling, and it was a whole different world. And yeah, it's it's wonderful to witness when it happens. Well, we reached the end of our time, um, and uh, Melissa, I'll turn it over to you. Our loved ones are only a heartbeat away. And science is going to prove it. Good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. Good night.